Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my brothers, my sisters in Christ. Your dad sits down with you at the dining room table and he says, It's about time we had a talk. But you know it's not just a talk, you know it's the talk. So you gulp. You say, oh no, not this. You're in fifth grade. The health class teacher says, class, today we're going to talk about something a little awkward, but very important as someone wheels a TV into the classroom. You've heard about what this is. You've talked to the classes that went before you. You gulp. You say, oh no. You come to church this morning. You see what you hear our epistle lesson read, and you see that it's the appointed text for today's sermon. Did you gulp? Did you say, oh no? Brothers and sisters, Paul, the inspired author of, the, of 1 Corinthians, is willing to address this issue head on. He's willing to address the topic of sex directly. Maybe we should borrow some courage from him. Because Paul's inspired attitude seems to be the talk is going to happen, whether you want it to or not. It's just up to us if we're going to participate, right? Paul's attitude very much is in this letter that the Christians in Corinth, the adult Christians, by the way, are getting all sorts of different messages about what sex is and what it's for. It's time to set the record straight. And what was the predominant attitude in Corinthian society about sex? Paul summarizes it this way in a saying that the Corinthians were using, food for the stomach and the stomach for food because God will destroy them both. In the context, you can tell that Paul is not just talking about food, right? He's not talking about cheeseburgers. He's not talking about what you should go get for lunch after church today. No, this was a saying that was applying your bodily appetite for food to your sexual appetite. I mean, you wouldn't let yourself starve, would you? If you had a craving, if you had something you want, why wouldn't you just go get it? Why be cruel to yourself? Why not go and get exactly what you want in whatever way you want it? Because in the end, your body's just going to be destroyed anyway. What does it really matter what cravings you have? See, the, and this was the attitude regarding... Sex. And sex was available to the Corinthians. There were prostitutes all over the place, and even the Christians in the church at Corinth frequented them. Because the Christians in the church at Corinth bought into the question that society asks. And the question goes something like this. If I want to, then why shouldn't I? Right? See, Paul is not, in this lesson, writing against the, the sins of society. No, earlier on in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, if I see sin going on in a sinful society, that shouldn't shock any one of us. What is shocking, what is terrible, is when Christians, who call themselves Christians, act in the same way. If Christians are living their lives according to that question, if I want to, then why shouldn't I? It's the question that the man struggles with as he stares at a Google search bar, wondering if he should go ahead and type in exactly what he's thinking. 
It's the question that teenage sweethearts struggle with when everyone else has gone to bed and they're watching a movie in the family room. If I want to, why shouldn't I? It's the question that maybe the woman struggles with at a work function when her very attractive coworker is making more and more obnoxious advances on her even though he sees the ring on her finger. If I want to, then why shouldn't I? Make no mistake, though, God is very clear in his word. There are big reasons why you shouldn't. Because despite what society might be saying, despite the messages that you're hearing all around, despite what the magazine covers say, or the messages you're seeing on social media, there are big-time consequences for defining sex in any other way than God does. God is clear that in order for sex to be a blessing, it needs to be between husband and wife within the bonds of marriage. Paul quotes Genesis, the first marriage to ever happen between Adam and Eve. The two will become one flesh. This is a good thing when done the way God wants it to. But in any other way, it is nothing short of destructive. If I want to, then why shouldn't I? Because if I do... It could destroy me. Talk to the man who typed in exactly what he was thinking into that Google search bar, and he went ahead with his desires. Even if his conscience isn't bothered afterwards by his corrupted and altered views towards women and towards sexuality, destruction is actually a pretty good word for it. Talk to that couple, those high school sweethearts, who went ahead and did what they wanted to do, but then they broke up. And they, they gave of themselves, they made themselves vulnerable only to be rejected. How do they feel now? I think destruction is a perfectly fine word for it. Talk to the woman who gave in to her coworkers' advances, and now she finds herself standing in court fighting over how often she's going to see her kids after the divorce. Bet you that feels like destruction. Now, if I want to, then why shouldn't I? That question has answers. Because just because I want to do something, just because the desire comes up in my heart, does not give me the right to do it and does not guarantee that it's going to be for my good. If I want to, then why shouldn't I? Well, the basic answer is because that's not what it's for. We are not created and put on planet Earth just to find satisfaction for every appetite that we have. No, you are for so much more than that. Brothers and sisters, the attitude of society that we should just run after everything you're hungry for, everything you want, in whatever way you want it, that's selling yourself short. Because God was not content to leave you on the path to just satisfying your desires. God was not content to watch you run after what your heart desires, your sinful heart, and go down that downward spiral that leads to destruction. God has redeemed you from that. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the atoning sacrifice for your sin. And when Jesus went to the cross, he shed his blood, and his blood was the payment to pay your ransom price. You are free. If you bring with yourself to church this morning a shame of a sexual sin of the past, know this for certain, that God has forgiven it on the cross of Jesus Christ. You are redeemed from that old way of life. You are made new. 
You are God's now. God has bought you at a price. Now, maybe that's not the way we like to think of ourselves. Maybe that's not the way we like to talk, right? We want to be our own people. We don't want to think that we belong to any one person. But God has shown you what it means to belong to your own sinful desires and where that leads. No, to be God's is to be free. To be God's is to be free to live out your true purpose. Because what's worse? A dad who never lets his daughter do a single thing that she wants, never watch a show, never leave the house, or a dad that lets his daughter do whatever she wants, no matter what it is or how destructive it is. What's worse? A teacher who won't even tolerate a smile in her classroom or the teacher that lets her students walk all over her and change the assignments and leave class early if they feel like it. What's worse, a police officer who will slap you with a $600 fine for veering into the lane an inch or the police officer that will pull pull you over but will let you go even if you're driving drunk. What's worse? Which one is God? Neither. God is not our strict father who is out to keep us from getting any pleasure out of life or any joy, but God is not the permissive winking grandpa who will let you do whatever you want. No, God reveals to us the destructive path of following our own sins, and he shows you how he has saved you from it through Jesus. He has liberated you to fulfill a greater purpose than doing whatever you want because he's made you his temple, Paul says. You are God's temple. I'm sure you've heard that before. I'm sure you've seen that somewhere before. My body is a temple. Maybe you've seen it on a a diet blog or an exercise blog or something like that. People say that phrase and they don't know that they're quoting this verse, but they really are. They're quoting a passage where Paul is encouraging people to stay away from prostitutes. I don't think that's what's in their mind on their blogs. But what do they mean when they write that? My body is a temple. That means I treat it with respect. I treat it with care. That means my body is clean. I don't let any toxins in or whatever the topic of the blog is. But think about it. Are temples clean? Take, for instance, the Old Testament temple for the nation of Israel. Was that place clean? I don't think so. Because every day animals were being led to the temple and slaughtered. There was blood everywhere. Every day, crowds and crowds of people gathered in the temple to worship God. It was noisy. It was probably stinky. It probably wasn't that clean. A temple is a place where stuff gets done. A temple is a place where God's name is glorified. And that's what Paul means when he says, your body is a temple. And just like we talk about church being God's house, your body is where the Holy Spirit lives in faith. And what is he doing in his temple? He's worshiping God. He's getting you to glorify God. See, your purpose on planet Earth is to live out to God's glory. And that's what you're doing, brothers and sisters, through the Holy Spirit. Sexual sin and sexual temptation just gets in the way. So you see that magazine cover that promises 
the secret to pleasure or fulfillment. You know that it can't deliver on that promise. You know that you have a greater joy in Jesus Christ. You hear the conflicting messages of society saying, the greatest good you can do is to be true to yourself and do what you want. You know that that's not true. The greatest good in life is to do what God wants and to be who Christ has made you. So call Satan's lies out where they stand. And maybe for a second I should address the youth of the congregation. Is this the point in the sermon where I pull out a chair and flip it around and kind of sit down like this, put on a backwards cap and some sunglasses, dab a bunch of times and say, sex before marriage isn't cool, bro. Is that how we get the point across? No, it'd be kind of corny, wouldn't it? Why don't we borrow a page from Paul's playbook, right? What does he do? He's very direct. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. You hear the messages around you. You see what other people are saying about sex. You know what God has to say. Run from temptation. There's no shame in retreat, brothers and sisters. So if you find yourself in a situation where you are pressured, whether in your own heart or by someone else, to commit a sexual sin, run. And remember, that's not who you are. That's not what you're for. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body and with your life. Because you're not to do whatever you want. You're not your own. You're God's. And there is nothing better to be. Amen.